Right eye dominant. Right eye dominant. Right eye dominant. This is the Right Eye Dominant Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Right Eye Dominant Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Toro Jr. Thanks for joining me. Today's episode, I want to talk about discoveries and rediscoveries in the history of photography. And I want to focus on four particular projects. I'll be discussing the work of photographer Vivian Meyer, the photographs of French photographer Eugene Aget, a great project that was discovered that's known as the Mexican Suitcase, and then finally, the mysterious portrait photographer in small town Arkansas, who's known by the name Disfarmer. So here we go. Let's take a little trip of discovery. The first photographer that I'm going to talk about today is a name that you may recognize, even if you're not deeply interested in photography. Her name is Vivian Meyer. She was a photographer who lived in the Chicago area in the mid 20th century. She spent most of her life creating photography and also home movies and films. And she did all of this not as her main source of income. She wasn't known in art circles or in photography circles. She was actually, for a good part of her life, she was a a nanny or a maid um, who was hired by different families. But she photographed on a daily basis and when she died all of her images her negatives were left in a storage unit that someone just happened to buy at auction and this person later discovered that they had inadvertently stumbled upon a treasure trove of really wonderful photography there is a great documentary that I would recommend watching about Vivian Meyer. It's called Finding Vivian Meyer. And it goes into depth in the whole process of how these images were discovered and then how they were preserved and then shared with the public. But what I find really interesting is that Vivian Meyer was compelled to document with her camera all throughout her her life without the desire of focus or attention on her as an artist or as even as a creative person at all. It is interesting when you look at the photographs of Vivian Meyer that there is obviously an artistic intent. You can see the photographer's eye was well-trained compositionally, uh, subject matter, Vivian Meyer's photographs are, many of them are outstanding images. And I'm reminded of the fact that she was creating in a time when, first of all, uh, using cameras on the streets to document was not a, a common occurrence, not like today where everyone's carrying a camera. Uh, there were also clearly no social media outlets or anything that uh, Vivian 
Meyer would be sharing her work uh, on a regular basis to a larger audience. And I find that point is really interesting because she wasn't driven, it doesn't seem, by any ego at all. Uh, This was deeper motivation to create images. Lastly, I just think it's amazing that this treasure trove of film and, and prints and imagery was left to be really discarded or forgotten about. And had it not been discovered at an auction of storage spaces, that the world would have been deprived of seeing this this vast, beautiful body of work. And I think that, above all, is a testament to the, the power of shooting photographs on film that do have some permanence and maybe a lesson for those of us today who are shooting predominantly digital images. I would guess that years from now, if somebody discovers a hard drive in a storage space, they may not even have the technology to explore what's on that hard drive, nor would they have perhaps the patience to go through folders and files to discover that there are actual photographs on that hard drive to be discovered and then to spend time going through them to see if they possess any value as either artistic creations or documents of a specific time or place. So those are some general thoughts about the work of Vivian Meyer. The next photographer that I'd like to talk about is a Parisian photographer from the early 20th century by the name of Eugene Aget, and I'll spell that for you non-Francophiles. It's A-T-G-E-T, Eugene Aget. Aget was a photographer who was active in the late 1800s, turn of the century into uh, the 1900s. And Aget wandered around mostly the streets of Paris with an oversized camera, today we would call a view camera, a box camera that sat on a tripod and captured larger negatives than a standard handheld camera, which came much later. And Aget documented the architecture of a changing turn-of-the-century Paris, He also documented, to some extent, the people on the streets of Paris, which I find quite interesting, especially considering if he was shooting with a larger format camera that moving subject matters might be a bit more of a technical challenge. However, what's really fascinating about Aget, in some ways similar to Vivian Meyer, is that he was a self-appointed documentarian wandering the streets on his own, directing himself to take photographs of whatever it was that he wanted to photograph without assignments or without expectation that other people would see these photos or that they would be on display or bought or sold. And Ajay, in a lot of ways, uh, wasn't as an obscure a figure as Vivian Meyer He was actually known to artistic circles in Paris. His work was familiar to the Surrealists and Dadaists that were working in Paris 
in the early 20th century. And Man Ray, the famous artist, was actually a supporter of Ajay's work and actually did share it and published it. But even when the work was getting attention, Ajay did not want the attention. He actually asked Man Ray not to attach his name to the work if he did share and publish it. How do we know about Ajay at all today? Mostly because of the fact that an American photographer by the name of Bernice Abbott purchased a large amount of Ajay's negatives and remaining prints that were available after Ajay passed away. There was a, a large amount of work that was purchased by the French government, but everything else went to Bernice Abbott. And it was through Abbott that attention in America and in the art world, and then eventually more worldwide attention for Ajay's work, sprung out of the fact that Abbott had this body of work and shared it, and eventually sold that collection to the Museum of Modern Art in the 1960s. The Museum of Modern Art is probably most responsible for the high regard that Ajay's work is held in today. They produced a series of exhibits and a really amazing collection of photo books of Ajay's work. What I really appreciate the most about being able to see this work is the fact that it was, again, saved from obscurity thanks to Bernie Sabat and others, but also that we really have a look at what life was like in the early 20th century, the turn of the century in Paris, as Paris, an ever-evolving city, was changing. And beyond that, there's an elegance to Ajay's photographs, uh, compositionally, always a strong composition, but also the lighting, also the, the softness of the edges of the images, sometimes due to vignetting of the lens on, onto the back of the camera. It really does feel like taking a little trip through a dream world of the past when looking at the work of the great Eugene Ajay. The next project that I would like to discuss is known in the photographic world as the Mexican suitcase. And the reason why it's called this is that in December of 2007, there was a suitcase discovered in Mexico City that contained rolls of film that were shot during the Spanish Civil War by three noted photographers, one named Robert Capa, who many of you may have heard his name before, very famous war photographer. Also, Gerda Taro, who's an underappreciated female war photographer. And also David Seymour, who went by the name of Chim. The film had to be smuggled out of Spain. The conditions during the Spanish Civil War were so precarious that the photographers really were challenged to get their work safely out to the world. These particular rolls were all compiled into a suitcase. And if you Google the Mexican suitcase, you'll see an image of the actual suitcase. And it contains a 
sort of a gridded sectioned case with rolls and rolls of film just rolled up and, and stuffed into it. And it's just that object alone. I could only imagine what it was like for the first person who opened up that case and realized what they had discovered. The case eventually did make its way to Mexico, hence the name. And then when it, when it was discovered who actually had produced the work and where it was from, this work was then heralded as sort of the most innovative and passionate coverage of the Spanish Civil War. The film then went on to be scanned and printed. Contact sheets were made from the negatives and the images made their way around the world as a, an exhibit at many well-known museums and galleries around the world. And I was lucky enough to see it myself in person at the International Center of Photography in New York City in 2010. And what I find amazing about this work is that here we have photographers who were working to document a war all three photographers whose work is featured in the Mexican suitcase ended up dying uh, doing their, their work. Gerda Taro actually was killed during the Spanish Civil War. Kappa was killed during uh, the first Indochina War in 1954. And David Seymour, also known as Chim, he died during a gunfire exchange as part of the Suez Canal crisis in 1956. So all three of these artists gave their lives for the, the work that they performed. And we as an audience, as viewers, are much richer because of their bravery and because of their sacrifice. And also thanks to the fact that these rolls of film were smuggled out of a war zone and years later made its way to the public view. So the last photographer that I'd like to talk about on today's episode is a curious story. His name is Mike Disfarmer, D-I-S-F-A-R-M-E-R. -E he was a small town photographer in Arkansas. He opened a small photo studio. He produced what he, what he called penny portraits. They were basically photographs that people would come and have their photo taken and then they would buy small copies of the image as a keepsake, as a family photo, or to give to a loved one. This farmer and his approach is quite different than what your standard small town photo studio may produce or may have produced. If you look at the work of this farmer, you'll notice that there's an unsettling quality to a lot of the photographs. He was known to have a, an approach with his subjects where there was very little vocal exchange. It wasn't a smiley, happy, cheerful environment for the subjects. When you look at the work of this farmer, you'll notice that there's this sort of range of portraits that are very intimate and very honest but also have this feeling of, of there's something else going on beyond straight documentation. The fact that Disfarmer produced this work, not in obscurity, because he was known to the people in the town and the region in Arkansas where he 
lived and worked. And he did have a little bit of a reputation as being a little bit of an oddball. Um, in fact, even his name, Disfarmer, isn't his real name. He changed it to distance himself from his family farming sort of history and roots. But the fact that he was known as this sort of small town creative oddball with a camera didn't stop people from coming in to get their photographs taken. The interesting thing about this farmer is that uh, his negatives were, again, after his death, discovered uh, by somebody who had a keen enough eye to see some sort of artistic or curatorial value to this body of work. It was actually somebody in the small town in Arkansas who found the images and then worked on them to clean them, preserve them, catalog them, and then uh, print them. Interestingly, there is a great documentary about Disfarmer, and it really goes into some interesting storylines concerning how the art world and the art collectors, especially in New York City, were drawn to Disfarmer's body of work and how it created a demand for original Disfarmer photographs, many which were just family photos that were gathering, not say gathering dust, but were in homes and frames uh, on mantles in uh, small towns around uh, Haber Springs, Arkansas. And the attention from the art world and the prices for original disfarmer photographs created this bit of a buying frenzy. And it's an interesting study of how art value is disconnected in a lot of ways from reality and that the art world and the collectors were so hungry for original disfarmer photographs that it became quite a source of income for a lot of people who really just were seeing these images as family photos of earlier generations and not collectibles or anything of artistic value. So that's today's episode, a little bit of a discovery, some hidden gems that we're just waiting for a larger audience to see, and also stories of photographers working in obscurity, driven only by their inner passion and desire to create work and not become famous or, God forbid, make a lot of money from their images, but in many ways were appealing to the higher calling of photographic expression. I will share links to the work of each photographer and the Mexican suitcase as well in the show notes. But if you have any questions or comments, I would love to hear from you. If you go to rightidominantpodcast.com, you'll see not only episodes and notes, but opportunity to contact me with questions, comments, feedback, which is always welcome. And by the way, while you're there, you'll notice that I do have some right eye dominant t-shirts for sale if you'd like to support the cause in that way. Or if you could go to your platform of choice and leave me a review, stars or a written review on the Apple podcast site is particularly important. It will help me reach a wider audience. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. Again, this is the Right Eye Dominant Podcast. 
I am your host, Nick Toro Jr. Until next time, stay well. Today's episode has been a production of RightEyeDominant.art. The music for today's episode is courtesy of The Conant Project, Yazar, and The White Plains. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, zero.